0: Man, I gotta confess, I don't know if the sermon I'm about to preach can match what we just experienced. Like, let's let's just give that a round of applause. That was. I love getting a setup like that. Now my job is just to, Mariona Rivera, this and close it out well. Um, so this is the last week of our People of Rest series. For the last four weeks, we've been talking about. What does it look like to be a people of rest in a world marked by exhaustion? And so I want you guys to do me a favor here real quick. I want you to think back to that happy year 2018 and 2019. Go back a few years. Remember what life was like pre-pandemic. Now, some of us, depending on how the last few years have gone, we might have rose-colored glasses about what 2018 and 2019 looked like. But I, I, was, I did some asking around, and I asked some people, I said, hey, like, what was life really like for you back then? And the responses I got were a lot of the same, you know, like all the same thing. Well, honestly, the last few years have been tough, but before then, it was still tough. You know, it was still tough trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I balance work and life and school and family? How do I do this, how do I do that? You know, like every year, like I set a sales record at my job, but then that became the the baseline for the next year. Or, you know, it was already tough trying to figure out, okay, I've got one kid in elementary school, I've got one kid in middle school, and I spend most of my time, you know, driving from A to B to A to B, and by the time everyone's back home, it's like, we're gonna eat something crappy because that's all we had time for. And 2018 and 2019 were still really stressful. And then, of course, we had the pandemic, And some of you guys, you know, like all of a sudden you're the primary caregiver for an an aging parent and you're scared to death that they're going to get sick. Or some of you guys, you know, you tell me about like, okay, so my daycare closed down and now I've got to figure out child care and I've only got so many sick days to take and what happens after that. And if I quit my job, how do we keep affording to live in the house we have? And you know pandemic was its own set of exhaustion on top of the exhaustion we already had and now we're in this weird phase where it's over but not and there's a whole new ball of stress with that as well where like i some of you told me this and my wife was just talking to me about this where everybody stepped up their game at her job during the pandemic and it's like, hey, man, we just got to get through this. Thank you guys so much for sacrificing. Thank you guys so much for all that you're doing. And then got told at the end, well, you guys were able to do this. This is the new standard now. And so what was supposed to be a temporary, like, jumping up of responsibility has now just become the standard of responsibility. And it's like, wait a second. And, and, and we're still doing things. Like, a couple of weeks ago, my kid's daycare did close down again because they had another outbreak. And it's like, oh, I thought this was over. And then there's the stress, like, here's one for you uh, that I was just thinking through. My son's birthday is in a month. He's going to be turning four. And it's like, wait a second. He's never actually had a birthday party with friends because this first birthday was one, you know, whatever. And the two and three were both pandemic. And so now we're like, wait, so should we have a birthday party with four? Wait, is there going to be any place that we can actually book and know that it's going to be open? And then when we do book it. Which half of all of the people we know do we want to upset? Because if we say, hey, yeah, we're going to do this birthday party and masks are required, half the people are going to be like, no, I'm out. And if we say, hey, we're going to do this birthday party, masks are optional, half of the people are going to be out. So do we really want to throw a birthday party knowing that we're going to tick off half of our friends? And that is just simply life right now. We all know it. We all feel it. We're all experiencing it. Life is just simply exhausting. And then, and because you guys are here, because you're watching online, you're the kind of people that say, you know what? I'm going to take my problems to God. And then here's what happens. Here's what happens. Let's just be honest. You add God into everything else you're already doing. And after a few weeks, you're still exhausted. But now you have religious guilt because you're like, well, I'll pray about it. I'll read my Bible. And then all of a sudden when life gets busy again and you forget to pray and you forget to read your Bible, you're like, I'm exhausted and now God's mad at me and I'm just not good at any of this. I'm just not good at anything. And so you see what everybody's doing now. Like They're like, well, you know what? I'll just quit my job or I'll figure this out. You know, We've heard the great resignation. We've had people say, okay, well, it's where I'm living. I just need to move. And people are trying desperately to figure out how do I actually make this life work? Because being tired and burned out all the time was normal pre was you know that was normal pre 2020. It's even worse now. Now maybe maybe you've tried the God thing and it's just like okay I feel guilty. So what do we actually do? What do we actually okay if we want to say people of rest in a world marked by exhaustion? What does it actually look like to where instead of we're not just adding more stuff in, we're not just adding God in but we're actually finding the rest that he talks about. And I think there's a passage of Scripture that Jesus lays out, where he lays out what does this actually look like. Not just talking about it, not just being like an idea, but something that will actually allow us to live the life of rest that we've been talking about. And so we're going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to be in John chapter 15. 15 Starting at verse 1 and in this passage I think we're going to find the secret to what rest really looks like. Starting at verse 1, this is what it says. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It it must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. All right, there you go. There's the answer. Boom, we're done. No, okay, so like this passage is so packed full of truth and good information. The problem is most of us are not farmers. Most of us don't raise wine grapes, most of us don't. So even though this is so full of truth, we're gonna have to do a little bit of translation here. We're gonna have to talk about why this is so good. So let's let's come up with a couple definitions first, and we're gonna dive in, we're gonna see what is actually going on here. Okay, let's talk about this word abide first off. Okay, abide simply just means what we root our life in that shapes and forms us as a person. Think about what the most important thing in your life is, really. This is what you abide in. This is what your life is rooted in. When we talk about the word pruning, think about this. What we scale back on so that we can give more time and energy to something else. Hey, I'm not going to be doing as much of this anymore because I need that time to do something else. Cutting. Things we remove from our lives that are taking away time and energy and not producing what we want. If pruning is cutting back on something or like reducing something, scaling back, cutting is just taking something out completely. I no longer do this. This is no longer a part of my life. I I don't have time and energy for it anymore. And then the word bearing fruit. Think of this. This is what we mean when we say bearing fruit. What gets produced in our lives from the way we spend our time, effort, and energy? This is the results of your life. Hey, I spend my life doing this and spending my time doing this, and this is the kind of life I have as a result. Now, here's the deal. Here's the big secret. Here's the big truth that we're going to unpack for today, okay? As long as your life is primarily rooted in something other than Jesus, you are always going to be headed towards exhaustion. Let me say that again. As long as your life is primarily rooted in anything other than Jesus you are going to be headed towards exhaustion. It's simply the way the world works. If I jump off of this stage, I will fall flat on my face. That's called gravity. When you don't build your life in Jesus, exhaustion is the result. It is a law of the universe. Let me, uh, let me just kind of explain it. Let me get, kind of give you an illustration, okay? Pick something good. I'm gonna say children. Children are good. I happen to love my children. If I decide that I'm going to build my life on my children, my children are what I'm rooting my life in. Here's the problem. Children are never done. There is no end to the good that you can do for your kids. My son has never said, Dad, guess what? You know, now that I'm getting ready to turn four, I've been thinking... I think you've given me a love, enough love now. We're cool. No. Like, there's always another mess to clean up. There's always another meal that can be read. There's always another book that can be read. You know, I, there's another hug that I can give. There's Like, if your children are what you center your life in, you will be exhausted, even though they're good, because there's always more you can do. Pick something else. Uh, pick y- your job. I think people should be employed, generally speaking. It's, it's good to have jobs, you know. Okay. Is your job ever done? Have you ever rolled in on a Friday and then been like, you know what? There is literally nothing for any of us to do. You guys have done such a great job. Go home, enjoy the day, and we're still going to pay you because we're just done. No, there's always more. Like I said, some of you got, who was it? Yeah, I I set a sales record, and then you got to top it. You care, you know, my wife's a nurse, she cares for one patient. So you get another. You guys know this. You guys know your own industries. You know your own thing. There's always something more you can do. And if you root your life in something where there's always something more to do, exhaustion is the natural end result because you never get to the end. Even good, I'm not talking, like I said, we're not talking about rooting your life in something that's really, really bad. Even the really good things do this. Let me, let me just kind of illustrate this for you. There's basically two ways to abide. One is to abide your life rooted in you. And by you, I mean anything that you yourself have picked. Career, family, home, job, school, friends, whatever. Anything that you pick that you can abide in that or you can abide in Christ. Let me give you the breakdown of what happens when you abide in yourself. All right, take a look. Okay, you're, if you abide in yourself, your life is rooted in you. I mean, after all, it is your life. I get to pick. Here's, what's prune. Here's what you start to prune. Here's what happens. As you go through life and you start to get exhausted and you start to try all these things, eventually you realize this isn't working. I need to cut back. And you start pruning and you do it based on an ever-changing list. Hey, this week we're really, we're really busy doing this, so I'm going to cut out that. Uh, next week it's changed. Hey, I'm really, and It's very emotional-driven. It's very like whatever feels good in the moment. And that's why you start to get in this habit of commit and quit. I know this sounds good. I do need to be a part of it. I'm going to commit to it. And then next week when you're exhausted, you're like, I can't do it this week. You, it just bounces around. Like what's, the, what's that pinball? You just, you're a pinball. You just keep bouncing back and forth between whatever is good in the moment. This is hard today, so I'm gonna cut back on it. Oh, it's easier tomorrow. You know, it's like, think New Year's resolutions, fun for a day, quit after a week. This is the way you live your life when you're building it on something else. What do you cut out? Well, you cut out anything hard and anyone who disagrees with you. Anything hard, like, oh man, my life is already hard enough. So even if it's good, even if it's a good hard, eventually it gets cut out because you're like, my life is hard enough already and you're going to cut out anyone who disagrees with you. Whether it's a good disagreement, a bad disagreement, etc. I mean, I don't have to explain to you exactly what social media looks like today. It's everybody telling everybody else why they're wrong, horrible, and should never speak again, okay? Because we're all exhausted, and exhausted people don't usually speak very kindly to one another. And the fruit that is produced is Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Here, let me just read that to you. It is obvious what kind of life develops, out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. I mean, let's talk about all the people who are so busy that Tinder is their best option. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage because you don't have time to process any of your thoughts and any of your feelings. It just builds up and just becomes more and more toxic. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. You know you want to be happy but you you don't have time so you just grab whatever you can. Trinket gods, magic show religion. You, uh, paranoid lo- loneliness. Paranoid loneliness, that's a good one. Where because you're so busy, all you do is find the faults in everybody else, and then you're like, well, it's their fault that I'm lonely. Cutthroat competition. This happens when your job is your god. All-consuming, yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper. You're so busy that you just get mad at everybody all the time. Uh, An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes because I'm off chasing my dreams and my spouse is off chasing their dreams and those two dreams don't align and so we just get mad at each other all the time. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Once again, when when your job is your God, everyone is competition. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. You know, when we all get together and agree to hate the same people. I could go on. We're not talking about the worst human beings here. We're talking about normal people who live an exhausting life, and this is what gets produced. You don't have to be an axe murderer to end up in this horrible place. You just simply have to be building your life on something other than Christ because as you strive to get more and more and more of whatever that is, it just keeps pulling and taking from you. Because it's an idol that will never give you what it promises to. I mean, we've all believed it once before. You know, we've all believed at some point where it's like, well, after this next season, then things will slow down. After this next job, this next class, this next thing, then it'll be okay. And we've done it, and we've taken the class, we've gotten the job, we've had the relationship, and it didn't actually slow down. It didn't actually bring rest because it was never going to. The pursuit of more only leaves more. Okay, so what's the alternative? If that's basing my life in my stuff, what does it look like to base my life in Christ? Okay, abiding, my life is rooted in Christ. What do I prune? How do I choose? What do I give my time and attention to? Okay, well this is prayer and scripture guided. Okay, God, as I look at this next few months of my life, as my family plans for the next season of life, where is it you're leading me? Where is it you're guiding me? This is where prayer and Scripture actually come into play. Some of us treat prayer and Scripture like some sort of like religious obligation or duty, like, I guess i got to read my five verses today. I go, go into Scripture being, okay, God, how am I supposed to spend my time? Because I know myself, and I, I, t- I, tend to, I tend to think I'm pretty even-keeled, but I'm crazy emotional about my own stuff. Like, one week, it's like, how you doing, Jeremy? And if I was being honest, I'd be like, This is the best week ever. I can conquer the world. And then two days later, it's like, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. I can't do anything. So if it's up to me, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Prayer and scripture guide me towards the good things. What do I cut out of my life? I cut out of my life the things that don't actually make me more loving, the things that don't make me more like Jesus. And what is produced? Well, let's keep looking exactly in that same passage, Galatians 5. This is what it says. It's starting in verse 22. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our life, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, Able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. The thing to remember is that when Paul was writing these words, he was writing them to a group of people that did not have a lot of personal freedom and autonomy. Okay, this was not a group of people who were all independently wealthy and could choose and mold their life to the way that was best. And they just, they just needed some pointers. No, he was saying, guys, it is possible in the midst of crazy, broken circumstances, it is possible in the midst of being, your lives being controlled by an empire in Rome, it is possible when you don't get to make a lot of your own choices and a lot of things are handed to you, you can still have strong, good relationships. You can still have peace about the way your life is going. You can still have these things, even though your circumstances are chaotic, because your life is rooted in Christ. So then what do we do? How do we get there? Alright, let's take a look at this picture. Here is the process. Once you realize that your life is rooted in something other than Jesus, you start cutting and pruning anything that keeps you from rooting your life. Excuse me. Once you realize your life is rooted in yourself, you start cutting and pruning anything that. It keeps you from rooting your life in Jesus. This is called walking by faith. See, some of us think like faith means, well, here's a list of statements that I agree with. Sure, fine, whatever. I'm not against that. But but more practically, faith is choosing to walk towards the goodness of Jesus even though it seems uncomfortable, even though it's unfamiliar, and it's leaving behind the things that defined our old life. This is a lifelong process. This isn't just one day I said, hey, I believe in Jesus, I got baptized, and then now I'm perfectly over here on the other side. No, as we mature, as we grow, as we follow Jesus, parts of our life come up before us. We're like, wait a second. This is me being stuck in the old life. This is me being stuck in the old life. This isn't producing good things in me. This isn't the kind of life I wanted to live. This isn't what Jesus promised. Okay, so what do I do? I either prune it, or I cut it, and I keep stepping forward. This is what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 10, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Which, when you first read those verses, it sounds like some sort of like mystical voodoo, like, what do you, what? Like, find it, lose it, lose it, find it. it was, but he's saying, like, look, you had a life. And it was exhausting. And it was never enough. And it never took you any place good lose that it's not doing any it's not doing you any favors lose the life that you knew and embrace the life that i'm offering for you and yes it is scary and yes it is unknown and that's why we call it faith jesus goes on in matthew 13 and says again the kingdom of heaven think the life i'm promising you when you see the words kingdom of heaven Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The merchant says, hey, look, I own all of this stuff, but here's a pearl that's worth even more. I'm getting rid of the stuff I had to buy something of much more value. The life that Jesus promised us is worth so much more than what we're currently carrying. But what we're currently carrying is what we know. And that's why it's hard. And that's why there's so much grace in all of this. Because to move from here to there means letting go of different things. Here's how the Apostle Paul described his journey in this. In Philippians chapter 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him Paul what he's talking about he's literally talking about he gave up all of the initials that were behind his name he was a fair like I mean like if today he'd have like PhD uh BS you know he'd have like a, he'd have a whole bunch of little initials behind his name because he had a reputation. This is a guy who was at the top of his game and had nowhere to go but up. And he leaves the system that he's in because he says, I found something better. I found Jesus. And anyone who would have been in Paul's world would have thought that he was crazy. Paul, you're on your way up. You've got nowhere to go but to to the top of the game. What are you doing leaving these things behind? Don't you understand that once you leave this, you're not getting back in? Don't you understand that if you you go chase off after this crazy, like, new religion thing that you're talking about, like, we're not going to be a part of you anymore? Like, Paul, you're crazy. Paul's like, no, no, guys, it's crazy to stay on this little hamster wheel. It's crazy to stay stuck in this system that's not producing anything good. Yes, I know you think I'm crazy, but I found something much, much better. And here's the promise I can make to you. When you start getting serious about truly following Jesus, someone is going to call you crazy because it doesn't make sense because you're not operating under the same rules that they are. You're not operating under the same principles that they are. You're, you're changing the game and it looks different. And it's just like, that's, I don't understand what you think you're doing, but we know that trying just a little bit harder, isn't going to pay off because we've tried harder. We know giving it one more turn around the wheel isn't going to pay off because we've given it one more turn around the wheel. I was talking to somebody and they were saying, like, it feels like what I'm doing most of the time is I'm just a firefighter putting out whatever starts burning next. And that's my life. This thing's on fire, so I put it out. (sighs) As soon as that's done, you know, this, this one flares up and I put this out. And it's like, okay, eventually fires should die down and people get to go back home. And if the, fire fi- if the fires never quit burning, there's a problem. But for most of us, we're just stuck in this and we think that's normal. And Jesus is saying, actually, no, that's not normal. And that's not what I have for you. See, the cool thing about Jesus is it's not about more, it's about rest. Like we've, like we've been talking about for the last four weeks, the promise of Jesus it's not if you do a bunch, eventually you're accepted. The promise of Jesus is just simply, you're accepted. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to maintain your status. You don't have to be like, well, yeah, it's free to get in. You, know, you can download it for free, but then uh, after the 30-day trial, there's a monthly bill. No, no, no. Jesus is free, and the rest is free for eternity. So that's where we build in. That's where we start putting our life in. That's where we start... Keeping our life built on. Because it's the payoff that we're looking for. It's the rest that we truly need. So if you're, if you're like, okay, practically, how do I start doing this? Practically, how do I start putting this into place? Here's some questions I want you to think through. Here's some questions I want you to begin thinking through. What am I currently abiding in, really? Like, I know we all say we believe in Jesus. I believe that you believe in Jesus. What are you really building your life on? Good things will leave you exhausted, just like bad things. So you can say, well, really it's my family, really it's my job, really it's my home. Those will leave you just as exhausted as picking the worst thing that you can think of. So what are you really abiding in? Number two, what is it producing in me? What life is being produced in you? Are you angry all the time? Are you bitter all the time? Are you tired all the time? If the answer is yes, that's not good. And it's not just a season. Number three, why is Jesus better? And here's what I mean by this. You actually have to come up with an answer to this so that when you take the scary steps of cutting and pruning, you know what it is you're walking towards. Like, don't Sunday school answer this. Don't be like, why is Jesus better? Because he's Jesus. Okay, like for real, why is he better? What is it that you're grasping or what is it you're letting go of and what is it you're taking hold of? Because when we say take hold of Jesus, you need to know what it is you're taking hold of. I'm taking hold of the promise that I don't have to strive anymore. I'm taking hold of the promise that I'm enough. I'm taking hold of the promise that I can live and know that God has my back. You need to know why Jesus is actually better so that you can walk towards that in faith. Number four, where in my schedule do I pray? This is not a shaming question. This is not a, well, you need to be praying for 10 hours. No, prayer is my time with Jesus where I get to connect to him. This is literally how I root myself in Jesus. Where in my schedule do I pray? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick one that I do. Like at 4 o'clock every day, an alarm goes off on my phone. I do not pray for 30 minutes. At 4 o'clock, I pray for like 90 seconds. Hey, God, okay, help me, help me go back over my day so far. Where have I started to go off course? What do I need to let go of before I go home and see my kids, so I'm not like coming home like if it was a crappy day? I don't want to bring that home. So at four o'clock, like God, here's all the crap from my day. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to go home and be good. You know, 90 seconds, whatever. This is something. Where in my schedule do I Sabbath? This is important. We, I'm not going to go back over all the stuff we talked about Sabbath. If you if you need to catch up, go back and watch the videos and podcasts from the last four weeks. But where do I actually Sabbath? Now let me. Let me give you guys some, um, some rookie mistakes that, that my family made. A while back, my family got serious about this. We're going we're to start Sabbathing. The first week was awesome. We had a beach day. We went out and got some like, awesome food. We went out and got some ice cream. It was great. The next week, still really awesome. We did it all. We, we did all the fun things. Week number three, we are broke and all of the laundry is piled up. It's like, wait a second, because here's the deal. What we realized, and this is a process, is that we had a seven day a week life, and all of a sudden we tried to take seven days and squeeze them down into six so that we could Sabbath. And what we've learned is, okay, no, no, no. There's some stuff we gotta start pruning and cutting so that we can have a six day a week life instead of a seven squeezed into six. And so some of the stuff that we've been pruning and cutting I love basketball. I love basketball more than I love most people. I'm I'm just going to be honest. I know that's bad to say, but it's true. I can watch basketball seven days a week. God said, Jeremy, you got to quit. You get, you know, like you've got a family, you've got a job, you've got friends. You're never going to be in the NBA, no matter how much you really wish you were. So it's not bad. You don't have to cut it out completely, but you got to prune it. Because you, you gotta have some more time for some things that are a little bit life-giving. Um, something that I had to cut out completely, this is, before I say this, this is me talking about me. Don't take this as Jeremy says we all have to do this. This is just me. I watch no cable news now whatsoever anymore. I cut it out because cable news is really great at making people either afraid or angry and telling you who you, sh- you should be angry at or who you should be afraid of. And so I'm like, you know what? I can get news other places, and I don't need to think half the population is an idiot all the time and needs to be punished, so I just cut it out. I, I get news elsewhere. I'm sorry, once again, I'm not judging you if you watch cable news. This is something God told me to quit doing, so I cut it out so that I can make room for other things that could grow, and one of the cool things that has happened is now, because I have more time for family, more time for things like that, my son... After we give him a bath and after we read him his bedtime story and stuff like that, he'd be like, hey, Dad, yeah, what you want? Can we watch basketball before we go to bed? <laughs> yes. Yes, we can, son. This is our bonding moment. God has restored the things that I have pruned back on. You guys are going to have to figure this out for yourself. Where in my, uh, bit number, question number six. Based on where you pray, what, you, uh, what Sabbath looks like, what needs to be pruned and cut? Actually, I'm going to take that back. You don't have to figure it out yourself. Here's my promise to you. If you're trying to figure this out, if you're like, okay, guys, I know, I know that I'm supposed to be doing these things, and I want real rest, and I would like some help, I will sit down with you. I will buy the coffee. I will buy the lunch. You bring me the schedule. You bring me what your family's trying to work through, and I will help walk you through this, because like we've said, Matt has said this several times. We want to be a well-rested church. Not a church that doesn't have any responsibilities. We're not getting rid of that. It's not not possible. But a church that is so deeply rooted in Jesus that the rest that he promises us, the life that he promises us, is a reality and not just a theory. It's something that is true for all of us. And if you need help with that, I will walk you through it. Like I said, lunch is on me. Coffee is on me. Because, and Matt has said this every single week, quoting Jesus, This needs to be true of us. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That is the promise that we are living in. That is the promise that is available to all of us. Let's walk into it. If you would, pray with me.